Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to, rem to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The word of the Lord. So when I think about the various um, passages of the Bible that often get utilized in um, mis uh, misquoted kinds of ways, uh, there's a whole list of them, but this passage is one of the key ones that I think is often popular because people know it, but it's often very misunderstood because it's so often misquoted. Now, again, there's a long list of them, but this is the key verse that I think often gets misunderstood. Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Uh, over the years, kind of in the, the cultural zeitgeist of the day, that often gets translated into a popular mantra uh, that you might often hear simply, only God can judge me. I mean, that statement, only God can judge me, has been uh, tattooed. It has been uh, plastered on bumper stickers. It is written into songs. It's heard everywhere from popular celebrities to even preachers. But what are we to make of that kind of notion? What are we to make of that kind of perspective? You know, is it true that only God gets to judge? Is Jesus here really telling us that we have no basis to make judgments in this world. Well, today we are going to continue our series, uh, Thy Kingdom Come, which has been uh, actually 18 weeks we've been in this series so far. We've actually only got a couple more that are left. Uh, but today we're gonna consider this contentious idea that actually what we are reading here is that we are called to judge, but, uh, but we are to be very conscious and clear about the way in which we judge. And what we're going to see is that our perspective on judgment actually says a lot about how we view ourselves, how we view others, and more importantly, how we view God. A wrong view of judgment leads to a wrong view of self, a wrong view of others, and it even leads to a wrong view of God our position before him in our need for a savior. So let's consider what Jesus is telling us here about judgment. And let's do that by considering our need for judgment, our blindness in judgment, and finally God's standard of judgment, okay? So first, our need for judgment. We need to begin with the question, can we make judgments? I mean, we live in a culture and in a society that actually prides itself on passing judgments. I mean, for example, our court system, every single day, 
is passing judgments on people, determining guilt and the innocence of people. And we do that, we pass these judgments in our court systems to ensure that justice is accomplished when people are guilty of crimes. And so we've got to then wrestle, if that's what we're doing every single day, is Jesus telling us here that we're not to hold perpetrators of injustice accountable through judgment and justice. You know, of course, that's kind of high level, but even at a lower level, like a personal, everyday kind of level, think about all the different ways we pass judgments every day. I mean, you're wearing the clothes that you are wearing right now because at some point you made a judgment, didn't you? I mean, the friends you have, your spouse, the church you attend, the job you possess, the music you listen to, the political candidates that you've chosen are all the results of judgments that we've made. And on top of that, not only do we realize that we you know, you can't get around the fact that we're making judgments, on top of that, we also tend to have a very deep sense of self and identity rooted in the choices, the judgments that we make. Right? We pride ourselves on choosing option A over option B because it, it bolsters our sense of self to have these, de these decisions reflect who we are. And we make these kinds of judgments all the time. On top of that, you also pass judgments on the decisions that other people make as well, don't you? Right, when you first meet somebody, don't lie, you know this is true. When you first meet someone and they tell you their favorite TV shows, their favorite musical artists, their preferred news channel, you start making some judgments about how close you're gonna be with that person, right? We make these kinds of judgments all the time. Now, of course, we know that's not entirely fair to make an entire character assessment on someone's singular decision. But the point is, every single day, we are passing judgments without fail. So all of that said, what is Jesus talking about when he says, do not judge? Is it really true that only God can judge? Well, if you were uh, in our studying the Bible class, which some of you were, uh, one of the things that you come to understand about how you interpret scripture is that there are two things, I won't call on anybody that was in the class to see if you remember what these two things are, but there were two things very important when trying to interpret what exactly is being said in a particular passage. And I wanna use those two tools that we used in a studying the Bible class, and maybe that's a plug for the next time we teach the class. If you weren't already in it, you could join it. But the two things that we looked at that are constantly so important is to interpret something well, you need to understand first the context of what's being said, and then second, you need to always allow scripture to interpret scripture. So if something's confusing in one part, use another part of scripture to try to understand the confusing part of, uh, that you're reading. Okay? And I put those in front of us because I want to use those two tools for a moment to consider whether or not Jesus is actually saying what it seems like he's saying here, that we can't actually pass judgments, even though every single day we do. So let's consider first just the context. All right, and just by context, all I mean is let's just read a little bit more of what Jesus has said there. Because the simple context is this, all right? Starting in verse one, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. But then in verse two, he goes on to say, for the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's just stop there for a minute. 
Jesus is assuming that there will be some judgments taking place. But he says, if you judge, understand that you will be judged by the same measure that you just judged. In other words, don't be a hypocrite in the way that you judge. You know, don't be unloving or don't lack mercy and compassion in your judgments unless you desire to be judged unlovingly, mercilessly. So the immediate context already begins to bring some clarity. Jesus isn't saying don't judge at all. He's saying whatever measure you judge, just know you're going to be judged in the same way. So there's context. But the other thing that we could consider is scripture interpreting scripture, that other, that other tool of how to interpret the Bible well. There are other passages that we can go to to look at how Jesus talks about judgment in order to make better sense of what's happening here in Matthew 7. And one of the other places that we can look to is in John 7. In John 7, verse 24, Jesus says this. Hear the slight difference. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So what we have here is Jesus saying, don't be a hypocrite. And if you're going to judge, do so righteously. So what we see is Jesus not telling us across the board that we are not to make judgments, but rather he's confronting us with the way in which we tend to pass judgment on others. That said, if this is the kind of judgment that we ought to possess, I think it becomes pretty clear that we begin falling short of the various ways that Jesus is calling us to judge. Because for the most part, I think people would hypothetically agree that what Jesus is saying makes sense. I'd be shocked if someone here says, yes, judgments should be made unjustly, unrighteously, and we should always be hypocrites when we make judgments. Nobody believes that to be true. But what we see here is Jesus defining judgments in a particular kind of way to show us just how blind we tend to be when we're actually passing judgments, which is why we need to consider our our blindness in judgment. Jesus confronts us, and essentially what we're going to see is Jesus is calling us hypocrites, and he's calling us unrighteous in the way that we pass judgment. And we can see that in the following verses. Look at verse 3. How much of this, by the way, as even as I have read this again, how much of this resonates with any of us? Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly and remove the speck from your, other, from your brother's eye. I mean, why is it that we feel compelled to point out the failures and the sins and the inconsistencies of others while never addressing our own? Why are we so intuitively, just kind of instinctually okay with self-righteousness? that assumes that someone else ought to be the exemplar, uh, or that I should be the exemplar of what someone should be, but I never allow myself to be the exemplar of what others should not be. We so often desire to be held up in high esteem, and it's because so often we are blind to our self-righteousness. And ironically, that is often a self-righteousness 
that others can see that too often we cannot see in ourselves. We're so quick to judge harshly of others, but also so quick to be gracious and kind and merciful to ourselves. Now, this notion of, of blindness, it actually prom, uh, it's pretty prominent in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is always addressing blindness, especially in the book of uh, Matthew. Commentators have pointed out that Matthew uses the concept in Jesus' ministry 13 different times throughout the gospel, which when you compare it to some of the others in Mark, uh, the book of Mark, he only does it once. Uh, in Luke, he only does it three times. There's a lot of blindness being confronted. And the reason being is in the book of Matthew, Jesus is constantly confronting a group of people known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a people of great righteousness. They were people that loved the law of God, following the law of God. But Jesus is constantly confronting them, telling them that they're hypocrites, saying that they are blind to their own self-righteousness, and that it's like the blind leading the blind. And the running theme of this condemnation is often that their blindness, their hypocrisy, is deceiving them into believing that they are righteous, when in reality, they're not. The reason is, you know, when you're, you're physically blind, you realize that you're blind. Right? You realize that you cannot see. But this kind of blindness that Jesus is describing, it's a selective kind of blindness. It's a blindness that we're happy with. We're happy to keep because there's a measure of self-preservation that comes when we choose to stay blind in that area. You know, years ago, um, I came to the realization, this was many years ago, came to the realization that I needed glasses. I for a long time resisted. I did not want to have to, it was like a new phase of life that I didn't want to enter into. And so I went to the doctor, the eye doctor, uh, and having struggled for a really long time to not be able to see, I finally get a prescription, I finally get my glasses, and I bet a lot of you have experienced this, but the first time you put on those glasses, blown away, absolutely blown away at what I could see. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever follow the comedian Brian Regan, but he has this bit about how he waited way too long to finally get an updated prescription so that he could finally see. And at the end of it, his conclusion was, how can instantly improve vision not be on the top of your to-do list? Absolutely true, right? Blown away. But then it came a time for me to uh, renew my driver's license. And specifically, what was going on here is that when I had initially taken my renewal, or my renewal, didn't, I didn't have glasses at the time, and so I could pass the eye exam without my eyeglasses. But now I had to get my license renewed, and they were again going to require an eye exam. And what I discovered when I showed up for the eye exam was that if I could only see the exam with my glasses, they were gonna note that on my license, and now every single time, I was driving, I had to wear my glasses, and if I ever got pulled over and I didn't have my glasses and the cop noticed that it was noted and I didn't have my glasses, I could get a ticket. So I'm in this moment where I either like try to struggle through the eye exam without my glasses, or I put my glasses on, pass the eye exam, and then have to deal with, you know, for forever, reminded that my eyesight is slowly dying. I chose the first option. Um, selective blindness. I, I decided to take that exam without my glasses. I will just have you know, this is not, I don't suggest this. This is an exemplar moment, don't be like me. I didn't wear my glasses, but I still passed the exam, barely. And actually the, the eye exam person was super gracious to me and let me do it a couple, couple times. But the point just being, 
For the sake of self-preservation, I chose blindness. It was easier in that moment to be blind than to have to be reminded of the glasses. And I'll tell you what, my friends, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, it's a selective blindness. We choose to not see for the sake of our own self-preservation. I will intentionally choose to be blind to my own insecurities, my own inconsistencies, my own failures, my own weakness. I will take my glasses off when looking at myself, but I'll choose clarity. I'll put my glasses on when it comes time to point out your wrongs, your failures, your inconsistencies. And honestly, I see this all the time in myself. Right? My own insecurities can very quickly lead my heart to find satisfaction even in the failures of other people, believing I would never be like those people. It's a way of bolstering myself. My self-righteousness, my hypocrisy wants to see failures in others to make me feel better about myself. I mean, I see that kind of instinct in me, but my friends, as a pastor, I see that same instinct in people all the time. I see many who are quick to judge quick to lack compassion and mercy, quick to think highly of themselves, of their upbringing, of their successes, of their culture, of their political ideology, all while ignoring the log in their own eye. But they find abundant clarity in the failures, in the inconsistencies, in the speck of dust in another's eye. And if you're here and you're thinking, phew, I'm glad I never do that. More than likely, you're the blindest among us. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy is incredibly deceptive because it's rooted in self-preservation. We all allow ourselves to be blind to our own blindness for the purpose of that self-preservation, that self-glorification, that self-centeredness, all of which have no place in the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus is time and time again. We've seen this over and over again in this sermon series. Jesus is constantly confronting the root cause of so many issues, which is pride, self-centeredness, self-glorification. And you know, I don't think we really take Jesus' words seriously enough here. Right? When Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. My goodness, that really ought to be terrifying. When we are honest about our judgments, those words ought to terrify us. You know, I started with the whole mantra that only God can judge me. How is that not a terrifying thought? Isn't he the one who is perfect and holy and just? Why does it not terrify us to think God is going to judge me? If the judgment that God is using, if the measure of his judgment is our standard, and we so often fall into this unrighteous, hypocritical judgment, why should we not be terrified by that prospect? So with that in mind, we do actually need to not only just consider our own perspectives on judgment, our own failures to judge well. We do need to consider God's standard of judgment. 
for what we're going to see is the standard is actually far more severe, far greater, far higher than anything we could possibly conjure up. And this will matter for us in the long run. So let's consider finally God's standard of judgment. You know, throughout the scriptures, God is described as a righteous judge. You see this in the book of Psalms and Jeremiah and 2 Timothy. It's in both Old and New Testament. Constantly we're hearing that God judges, God judges in a way that is perfect, that is just, that is righteous. He is not like judges of earth. He's not like us. He's not flawed and temporary. Instead, he is perfect and eternal. When God points out a speck in our eye, he does not have a log in his own. He has no blindness, but rather sees with piercing, perfect clarity. Sees you and I down to the very bottom. There is nothing hidden from him. And with that perfect vision, he knows just how deceived, how blind, how self-righteous, how arrogant we are. And though he knows us in this way, God's standard of judgment is actually himself. His expectation of us, what he desires from us, is actually himself. He's not like us when he says, you should be like me, because when we say that, we're always insufficient, and we're always, it's almost always rooted in self-righteousness. But when God, in places like Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, again in 1 Peter 1, God tells us to be holy as he is holy. That's God's standard of judgment, his holiness. And when he says, be holy as I am holy, he means it. God's standard for holiness is himself. God's expectation of us is his holiness. And when he judges, it is that standard with which we are judged. And I don't know about you all, but as I hear that, I feel the weight of that. I mean, are we confident enough to say that my holiness, my righteousness is that of God's holiness, God's perfection, his righteousness? But that's not the only thing that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that, that, that God tells us in his word about this. In 1 Peter 1, and if you guys want to throw that passage up, he says more than just be holy as I am holy. It's true. That is the call that God has given to us. But then hear the rest of the words. In 1 Peter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 15, says this. But just as he called you, or just who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. But then hear this. Since you call on a father who judges each person, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you see what's going on there? Do you see the hope that's presented to us there? See, God does not say, be holy, and then you will be redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That's not what he says. 
What does he say? He says, be holy because you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. See, God's standard of judgment is his perfection. It is his holiness. It's a perfection and a holiness that you and I do not possess, nor will we ever possess on our own. But it is a perfection, a spotlessness found solely in Jesus himself. I mean, the scriptures speak of being clothed in righteousness. The prophet Isaiah speaks of God clothing him with the garments of salvation, that he's clothed with, these, with this robe of righteousness. So when we trust in Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, not only does his death as the lamb take care of and atone for our sins, which it, it does, but it also clothes us in his perfection so that now before the Father, we are viewed as one who is without blemish, without defect. It is not our own righteousness. It is not our own holiness. It is that given by Jesus. All I possess are the filthy rags of sin and self-righteousness and hypocrisy and assumptions that I am better and wiser and more insightful and less worthy of judgment than others. But Jesus confronts us and says, no, all you have are filthy rags. Your greatest achievements will never compare to the perfection that you are compared to. But as you trust in me, I clothe you, I take those filthy rags, and I cover you with my perfection. You know, outside of Christ, the statement, only God can judge me, ought to be a terrifying statement. But inside of Christ, as one puts their hope and faith in Jesus, God's judgment is not something to fear, but rather it's something to be embraced. His perfection ought to be embraced because Christ covers us so that we stand before God righteous as a result of Jesus. So, first and foremost, the question, of course, is have we trusted in Jesus to provide us that robe of righteousness? If not, when standing before a holy God, all we have is our attempts at righteousness, our attempts to justify, us, uh, justify ourselves before him. And I do wonder, if we haven't trusted in Jesus, are we confident to stand before God and say, God, I am holy, just as you are holy, accept me? If not, we need to be confronted that our blindness has deceived us into not seeing the depths of our brokenness. And so, may the Spirit of God, I hope, open our eyes to our own brokenness that we might trust in Jesus and be given this robe of righteousness. But for the rest of us here, Maybe there are some of us here. You understand and believe everything I just said. Right? You agree that God is holy and that we ought to be holy like him. You agree that you know, our righteousness is found ultimately in Jesus, that we cannot achieve a righteousness on our own. I agree with that. I wouldn't have said it if I didn't. And many of us here, we may all still agree with it. And yet, even though we believe that to be true, even though we put our hope and our faith in justice, we still find ourselves self-righteous. We still find ourselves pointing out the failures of others, not often pointing at the failures of ourselves. So full of pride, so full of self-assurance, 
even as we trust in Jesus. And for those of us here that are in that category, I'm telling you now, we must hear Jesus' words as well, confronting that kind of heart posture. Before we resume any other kinds of judgment, we need to properly deal with that heart posture. And I'll also say, passing judgments is not a bad thing. In fact, there are many times when it would be unfaithful and unloving to not call out the sin and the injustice and the unrighteousness that we see in other people. So it's not about just no judgments. It's about a heart posture. It's about a mindset when we do pass those kinds of judgments. We need to learn what it means to speak the truth in love. We need to learn what it means to prioritize compassion and, com and mercy. We need to remember what it means to seek judgments that lead to people's flourishing, to seeing them grow, not as a means of boltering ourselves, but for the good of others. When we pass judgment, it ought to lead to life, not condemnation. Why? Because of Jesus. As you are judged by a perfectly holy God, you also experienced his love. You received his compassion and mercy. In his judgment, you were led toward flourishing. You were led toward life, not condemnation. If our judgment is rooted in the realities of what Jesus has done for us, if we are constantly in this posture of repentance before God for our failures, if we're truly pulling from the resources of the gospel, mercy, compassion, love, then when we do judge, our judgments will be different because we will recognize the brokenness that's within us. We will come before God asking him to weed that out. And I'm telling you, if we can come before him with that kind of vulnerability and honesty, when we do pass judgments, it will make us a people of compassion, a people of love and mercy, even in our judgments, when we look upon Jesus and what he has done for us, when we consider what he's given us. And so if, if your heart leans toward self-righteousness, self-glorification, self-assuredness. Remember what Jesus has done. Accomplished a great work that you could not accomplish. And may that form us, shape us, so that when we pass judgment, we become people who lead others toward life in the grace of God in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for that abundant grace it's a grace that we, of course, have not earned, have not deserved. And yet, because of your mercy toward us, you give it freely in Jesus. And Lord, would you forgive us then for the self-righteousness that I know exists? I ask you to forgive me for the ways that my heart can judge. Would you forgive those of us here who recognize that we're hypocrites, that we do not judge righteously. Forgive us, Lord. And Lord, would you make us a people that even in our judgments, that our judgments would be experienced as love and compassion and mercy by others, all of which is pointing people to Jesus. Spirit of God, make it so in us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church, and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.